Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Come on. Good morning, Mission Church. Let's go. Super excited that I get to preach today. Um, Super excited. But before we get to the message, um, don't we love our pastors, Pastors Tyler and Rachel? Come on. Love, love, love our pastors. Um, I always want to honor them anytime I get a chance to speak on a Sunday morning. Um, I say this every time I get to speak, but we have to always remember um, that they are not normal pastors, that they are exceptional, that they are exceptional leaders. Um, A lot of times when you get to church and you go for a few weeks or a few months or a couple years, um, you can start to think, man, every church must be like my church. Every pastor must be like my pastor. Um, But we know that's not the case. Um, They are exceptional. They are just amazing leaders. uh, And it's such an honor just to be able Able to be here at Mission Church. Well, let's clap for our pastors one more time. So amazing. Just love, love our pastors. Um, if I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is Joe Little. I'm the youth pastor here. Um, super excited for this season of our youth ministry. Um, I'd be crazy not to talk about youth uh, on a Sunday morning. Uh, we're entering into a special season of youth. I love when the, when the school year kicks off, uh, when there's football games, all different types of things going on. And we're going to be back on campuses this fall. Uh, so super excited. Please pl- pray uh, for all of our students leading clubs, um, all of our students. Even some of our students said or found out, hey, we can't have a club maybe in our school. Um, so they actually are starting Bible studies before school to meet with their classmates. Um, and it's just so amazing. Yeah, we can clap for all the students leading clubs this fall. It's going to be so amazing. Um, and I would just ask for your prayer. Um, we've seen such amazing things happen on our school campuses just by bringing pizza. What's amazing is because of our students' uh, obedience to God and just listening to his voice, um, we're on a public schools and public high schools in California where students are hearing the gospel. Um, there would be there were times last year where over a week span there would be over 200 students between all of our campuses um, eating pizza and hearing God's word. We would see salvations by the dozens, um, literally on public school campuses. Students that would never probably step into these four walls um, are hearing the gospel and they're getting saved and they get to go to heaven uh, because of our students' obedience and because of the grace of God. So we can clap for all of that. That's so amazing. Just wanted to highlight our campus clubs. As well as um, youth, youth has just been amazing and it's super fun in the fall. Uh, we don't have youth tonight, uh, but we'll be back next Sunday night at 6 p.m. And on October 1st, we're actually doing a youth revival night. So if you've ever been to a revival night on a Thursday night, it's super fun. Uh, but I love, we do youth revival nights once a semester and it's amazing. Pastor Lisa comes and leads worship. Uh, we're doing a giveaway. We're giving away an iPad. Uh, we're having free food. Um, so if you're not there on October 1st, uh, I don't know what better you had to do, um, but enjoy. I guess. Um, But we'll be hanging on October 1st right here uh, at 6 p.m. But today, super excited uh, that I get to preach. Um, This message today, honestly, is a little bit different than any other message that I've preached. It's very, very, to be honest, reflective. Um, I don't really have a ton of points, I would say, but they're honestly just three questions that I would love for us to just ask um, as a church as we enter into this next season, into the fall. And uh, we're going to be in Matthew 5 today. I'm going to encourage you, take notes. We encourage all of our students, take notes anytime someone's preaching, just because there's nothing uh, worse than needing something on a Thursday uh, from Sunday and having to be like, man, what did the pastor say again? Um, And then you try to like maybe paraphrase it and you're like, well, that doesn't sound biblical. Um, But let's, uh, let's take notes today. And at the title of the message today, it's blessed when I'm hungry. 
Blessed when I'm hungry. So what's happening in Matthew chapter 5 is we have the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and this is the only full sermon that we get from Jesus in the entire Bible. So what's very interesting is that Jesus, who was clearly the greatest communicator in the universe, uh, is sitting on a mountain. There's crowds there. And he just starts preaching and just starts dropping knowledge like it's nobody's business. And he starts these things called the Beatitudes, which we're actually going through in our youth ministry right now. Um, and the Beatitudes, Beatitudes just means blessed blessed. So it's blessed if this, because this. You're blessed if this, because this. And Jesus goes through. And I love, love, love where we're going to be today. Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Let's pray one more time before we get into the message today. God, I thank you that you're a God that wants us to hunger and thirst for you. God, our prayer today uh, is that our appetite would change, that we would have an appetite for you, your presence, your righteousness, because when we have an appetite for you, we are filled. God, I thank you even for the message version of this verse, God, that says, blessed are those who have an appetite for God. He's the greatest meal that you'll ever eat. God, we thank you for that. We thank you for that truth. We thank you for who you are. Do what only you can do today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so the first question that I would love for us to process as a church today um, is what does a blessed life look like to you? Because what's very interesting is if I was to say, hey, God wants to bless your marriage. God wants to bless your job. God wants to bless your school. Um, a lot of us would probably have different definitions of what that means. So what's very interesting and what we all have to process is what does a blessed life look like to you? Because Jesus says, hey, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. But he uses this word and it's a very specific word. It's this word Baruch and it says to be, and it means to be happy or favored. Come on, doesn't that sound good? To be happy, to be set apart, to be favored. But I love this last part of the definition. It says to be envied of. It's very interesting. He says it's, that it means to be envied of, meaning that people would look at your life. They would look at my life and say, I want that. I want, I desire what they have. Now, the reason why this is a little weird to talk about on a Sunday morning is because the definition of success has changed in our lives. The definition of blessed has changed in our lives to where now when I say, Hey, God wants to bless your business. Half of us are like, well, that sounds pretty cool. I could use a promotion. And the other half were like, well, there goes the prosperity guys again, talking about all the, oh, I guess I'm going to get money at the end of this. But what's very interesting is that in biblical times, the word blessed did not have to do with the temporary, but it actually had to do with the eternal. So what happens now is when we say, oh, God wants to bless your business. God wants to bless your family. The things that begin to go through your mind are the temporary. Oh, well, that must mean that my business will expand. Well, that must mean that I'm going to get promoted. But what it actually means is it means the eternal. But what does a blessed life look like to you? There's this famous cartoon to where this guy is learning how to do archery and he's learning how to shoot bow and arrows. And he tells his friend, he says, hey, I think I can hit the bullseye in three tries. And his friend's like, you can't, like, you can't do it. I'm literally teaching you how to do it. There's no way that you're going to hit the bullseye. And he's like, okay, well, bet me lunch that you're going to hit, the, that I'm going to hit the bullseye. And he's like, okay, sounds great. So he shoots three arrows, boom, 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 completely misses the bullseye. All land on the target, completely misses the bullseye. And he looks to his friend and he goes, see, I told you. And he's like, what are you talking about? Like you missed the bullseye all three times. And then he goes up to the target and draws bullseyes around every arrow. 
And he's like, I told you, I hit the bullseye. He's like, you didn't say which bullseye I had to hit. And what's very interesting in life is that your experience when it comes to your relationship with God is completely determined by what targets are you trying to hit? What targets are you trying to hit when it comes to your relationship with God? I would, I would even ask it this way. What are your intentions with God? <laughs> Do you understand that that question determines everything? That it determines how you walked into this room? That it determines how you worshiped? You want to know how you can figure out what your intentions with God are? Your prayer life? What do you pray for? When you pray to God, what do you, what do you ask God for? I, I even heard a preacher say this, that if God was to answer all of your prayers, would it change your world or would it change the world? If God was to answer every single prayer that you prayed, would the world be less anxious? Would the world be less depressed? Would there be less suicide or would we just have more stuff? Or would we just have more things? I even love what the Bible says in Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Come on, doesn't that sound good? Plans to give you hope. And we'll read this and we'll be like, yeah, plans to give you a future. Yeah, plans to give you hope and joy and all of these things. God, that sounds amazing. I want, I want those plans, God. What are the plans that you have for my job? What are the plans that you have for my business? What are the plans that you have for my kids? I, I want those plans. But what's very interesting is that that's not where the verse ends, that the verse actually continues. And I love what it says. It says, you will realize I have plans for you, that, there's a pro- that they're gonna prosper you, that I'm, gonna har- that I'm not gonna harm you, that I give you hope, a future. And then it says, then you will call on me Come and pray to me. I will listen to you. You will seek me. Find me when you seek me with all your heart. The plan of God is always to bring you to the presence of God. So you have to understand today, the plan of God is always to bring you to the presence of God. He says, I have plans for you, plans to prosper you, plans to give you hope, plans to give you a future, but every single plan will always lead back to my presence. How devastating would it be if the plan of God for your life was to just give you more stuff? Like how devastating would it be if you pray to God, God, I just, I just praying over my wedding and you get married and you say, I do. And then you realize a month later that a wedding and marriage are very different. (laughs) So then you're in your marriage and things maybe might be going through a hard patch and you say, God, would you help me in my marriage? And God's like, nope, nope, nope. A wedding was the plan. I'm sorry. That's it. The plan was the wedding. Could you imagine if you were praying, God, would you help me to get this promotion? Those are, those are clearly your plans for my life. And then you got the promotion and you realize that usually higher up means higher amounts of work. And you're like, God, I'm anxious. I'm struggling. This is really hard. Can you help me? He's like, sorry, the promotion was the plan. Plan's over have fun. No, that would be devastating. But what the plan of God is always to bring you to the presence of God. I'll even say it this way. Being blessed is not about getting more from God, but it's about getting more of God. Being blessed is not about getting more things from God. It's about getting more of God. This should shift our prayers. After hearing this, our prayers should not look like maybe your kid's list to Santa. (laughs) 
But your prayer should look like praying for his presence. God, can I have your presence? God, can I have your joy? That is what being blessed looks like. And I really do believe today that God wants to change your definition of blessed. That when you begin to process, hey, what does it look like for God to bless my job? Hey, it might not look like maybe your business multiplying, but what if it looks like the Christians in your business multiplying? What if it doesn't look like your kids maybe going to the Ivy League that were your dreams for them, but it looks like them fulfilling the calling that God had for them? What does blessed look like to you? And the second question that we have today as the story continues, or as the verse continues, I love that it says Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Uh, a couple months ago, we took some of our students uh, golfing. And does anyone feel like golf, like in the last two years, just became like just super, like the thing to do? Like everyone's doing it. Just me? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does anyone else feel like everyone just got obsessed with golf, like in the last two years? I am one of those people. I'm not going to lie. Uh, I, I play a lot. But I took students out because students were like, we golf, we golf. So we were like, all right, let's do it. So we did this thing called the Mission Youth Masters, and it was super fun. And we gave away a green hoodie, like the green jacket. <laughs> And it was awesome. Shout out to Andrew Hollister if you're watching. He's at college now, but he won. And we, and we put the hoodie on him, and it was incredible. And it was a great moment. And uh, at the, at the, around the sixth hole, and it's, and it's so funny because, like, some of our students, like, actually, like, do play. They played in high school. Or they play in high school, compete. And a lot of our students are a little bit like me to where we're just kind of out there hacking around. Um, but we all, like, we all are there, and we're walking. And we obviously did, like, a very cheap course. So it's, like, eight people just together just hacking around on a golf course, completely against golf etiquette, by the way. And we get to the sixth hole. And all of a sudden, on this golf course, if you've ever been on the sixth hole of this golf course, there's this smell. And this smell is the anointed, the set-apart, the, the smell of In-N-Out. Who loves some In-N-Out? Who loves some In-N-Out? Yeah, you can smell it from the golf course. The minute that we smelled it, if you've ever seen like a high school guy smell In-N-Out, they're like like dogs, like literally like, like what is going on? Like, like they couldn't, we couldn't focus the rest of the round. We were like just trying to get through it. Like, like they're putting and they're like, are we going to In-N-Out after this? Sure, like yes, yeah. We're walking down the fairway, In-N-Out, right? Yes, yeah. We're literally yelling at people from the, we're going to In-N-Out. Like, yeah, like we're, we're telling everyone it was the only thing on our mind was in and out. So we obviously went to in and out after, and it was fun and it was great. But the reason why I shared this story is because we were hungry for in and out. And, and what that did was that began to drive our decisions. It began to drive our thoughts. So the second question that I want you to write down is what are you hungry for? What are you hungry for? Because hunger, hunger follows you, doesn't it? Oh, that hunger for in and out followed us all around the golf course. But hunger will follow you to work, won't it? Hunger will follow you at home. Hunger will follow you at practice. Hunger will follow you when you're coaching. Hunger will follow you. What are you hungry for? You'll put things on hold for your hunger. You'll push things to the side for your hunger. You'll change your schedule for your hunger. I even love that we started fasting as a church, and we're going to start fasting this week, because what are we saying? We're saying, God, we might be hungry for something, but we want to make sure that we're hungry for the right things. We want to make sure that we're hungry for your presence. What are you hungry for? Why? Because your hunger draws you to act. Action and determines what you eat. 
So you have to understand your hunger drives you to action and determines what you eat. So if I'm hungry for finances, it will determine what I eat. If I'm hungry for a relationship, it will determine what I eat. If I'm hungry for approval, affirmation, it will determine what I eat. Why does this matter? Because I am either starving myself of God and filling myself with the world, or I'm either starving myself of the world and filling myself with God. And you might be like, well, why does this matter? Why does it matter what I eat? Why does it matter these things in my life? Because the old tale that you heard when you were little or you tell your kids still reigns true today. You are what you eat. (laughs) You are what you eat. You are what you consume. I even love how Joseph Excel, one of the commentators that I read as I was studying for this message, we assimilate the strength of what we feed on. Mark Comer would even say it this way, what you give your attention to, you become. In Florida, uh, there's these moments every single year where it's hurricane season. And, and there's always hurricane warnings in your area, but there's not always hurricanes in your area. So there's two types of people in the world that are, that are living there. Uh, and what ends up happening is there's certain people who, when there's a hurricane, like they're already prepared before the warning even happened. Like this is my friend. We were literally just texting uh, about some of the hurricanes. And he was like, oh yeah, I've had like six cases of water in my basement for months. I'm like, okay. Cool. Um, and then there's people like me who wait until the very, very last minute. Like we're the people who like are prepared always in advance. Like you have your end of the world kit at home as we speak. Like, yeah, yeah. Where are you at? Where are you at? We're the people like me that right now you looked around just to see who you need to call when the end of the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, I can call you. I can call you. I can call you. All right. Uh, but uh, what's very interesting is that I'm the exact opposite. Like I like, like me, I'm to the point of like, I need to like see the hurricane before I prepare for it. And I'm not saying this is a good thing. Like it'll start raining and I'm like, okay, it's, it's just rain. We don't need to prepare yet. Oh, thunder. Okay. That's fine. We're fine. Oh, now the eye of the hurricane is over. So we should probably go to target. Uh, we should probably get some water. And of course it's all gone every time. If you wait, it's all gone. Why? Because you cannot prepare for a crisis in a crisis. You cannot prepare for a hurricane in a hurricane. Something that I tell our students all the time is that you cannot, especially when we were into the summer, was I said, hey, you cannot make decisions in the summer just because it's summer, because eventually it will be fall. <laughs> and you are going to live those decisions that you had in the summer. You're going to see the fruit in the fall. Pastor Tyler even challenges our staff with this. He says, hey, you are now living in the fruit of seeds that you planted in the past. So what are, what are Joseph Excel and Mark Comer saying? That, that what you are eating now determines how you will feel in the future. What you are eating now determines who you will be in the future. You are living in the fruit of seeds that you have planted in the past. So what you have to ask yourself is, what seeds am I planting now? And what seeds have I planted before? Because if you look at the fruit of your life, what seeds have you planted before? What seeds are you planting now? Something else I even would say is you cannot pull from what you do not have. I tell our team this all the time. You cannot make withdrawals if you have not made deposits. So the reason why it's so hard for some of us to maybe say scripture over our life when we're anxious is because we didn't read scripture when we had peace. The reason why it's hard for you to maybe pray for that family member when they're sick is because you didn't have a prayer life when they were healthy. You cannot pull from what you do not have. So what are you hungry for? 
What are you hungry for? And the Bible tells us, hey, you're blessed when you hunger and thirst for righteousness. I love that Jesus takes us to our two basic needs of survival. That this is a, this is a survival. Like, hey, you're, you're blessed when you need it. You're blessed when you need to have it, when you're hungry for it, when you thirst for what? Righteousness. Joseph XL would even describe righteousness as this. Righteousness is a death unto sin, a renunciation of the world, and a deliberate choice of God. So it's death unto sin, a renunciation of the world, and a deliberate choice of God, showing me that righteousness is not just one act, but it's actually supposed to be a lifestyle. This is the righteousness that Jesus is speaking of, not that you would make righteous decisions, but you would live a righteous life. If I was to tell you, hey, I'm a musician, half of you wouldn't believe me anyway, but if I was to say, (laughs) I'm a musician, and I just play one note, and I'm like, there's music. No, you wouldn't, you'd say that's not music, that's a note. Because you maybe put some, because right now I'm saying, hey, you should live a life of righteousness. And some of you are already processing, okay, I got to cut this out. I got to cut this. The Bible says on our best day, on our best day, when you've cut out all of your bad habits, it's filthy rags compared to the righteousness of God. Meaning that you and I are not supposed to just make righteous decisions. We're supposed to live a righteous life. That when we, maybe you're dating, it's supposed to be righteously. When you work, righteously. When you maybe parent, righteously. When you're a student living in your home, righteously. Everything about you is supposed to be righteous. And the problem that happens is this is very, very hard. It's very, very hard. Like some of us right now are like, this is, it's not just hard, it's impossible. When I'm up here saying, hey, you should be righteous at work. You're like, yeah, but you didn't see the email I got. You should be righteous in your marriage. Yeah, but you don't know what my spouse did. You should be righteous in life. You should be forgiving. Everything about you should be righteous. It is, it is impossible. I was doing a case study in college about why people were walking away from Christianity. And the number one reason that I found as I was studying and I was writing papers on it and doing this case study, the reason why people walk away from Christianity a lot of the times is because it's really, really hard. Like, honestly, it's really, really hard. It's really, really hard to live a life of purity. It's really, really hard to live a life of integrity. It's really, really hard to live a life of kindness time and time again. It is impossible But I love that Jesus does not end there, but that the verse continues. And he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. The band can go ahead and come up. We're going to close tonight or this morning. And I love, love, love what he says. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So there's people who prepare in advance and there's people like me who prepare at the last minute. Uh, I believe that this even transcends into our driving. There are people who fill up their gas tank when it's like only half empty. Where are those people at? Where are those people at? Yeah, half empty or like a quarter empty. You're like, oh, I got to go get gas. Like it's a dire need for you to get gas when it's, when it's a quarter full. And there's people like me who, if the light's not on, I'm not going to the gas station. Like for what? Why am I going? There's no need. I apparently have gas. The car started. Like, like I, I'll drive, like, and, and this is how you know if you're that person. When the miles have gone away in the car, like, it tells you, hey, you have four miles, 10 miles, 20 miles, and the miles have gone away, and it's just dashes blinking, and you know exactly how many times you can go to work and back. I know. I can make it there twice. I can, get, I can stop at the gas station tomorrow. Like, like it's so funny, because a lot of us, like, when you, like, because you, have you ever, 
Like who has their like gas station that's like, that's my gas station. That's the one. That's the one. I go, I go get gas at this gas station. I know the person working there. Some of you maybe eat the taquitos and the hot dogs. I would advise against it. <laughs> and you're like, this is my gas. But then when you're out of gas, you don't care where you're getting gas from. I remember I was about maybe 14, 15, and uh, I was in the car with my mom. And mom, if you're watching, I apologize for telling this story without your permission. But we're in the, ga- we're in the car, and... Like, I normally don't have anxiety if the gas light is on, but I get a ton of anxiety when the radio turns off. Like, has anyone ever ran out of gas before? That's the first thing that happens is the radio just shuts off, and it's, you're jamming, and you're listening, and it's like, ooh, I'm really out of gas. So, so we're there, and we're at the stoplight, and the radio shuts off, and I'm like, oh my gosh, what's happening? What are we going to do? And my mom, like, turns the car back on, and I'm like, okay, okay, we're good. And we're at a stoplight and we look over to the left and there's a gas station. And this is no joke. This is what my mom does. My mom's in the driver's seat and she looks at me and she looks down and she says, Lord, forgive me for what I'm about to do. (laughs) And she runs the red light and goes into the gas station. Like this is like, this is literally what happens. And it's hilarious because when you're out of gas, you do not care where the gas station is. If we're being honest, you don't care what it costs. (laughs) You're going to that gas station. And in life, when you're on empty and you want to be filled with something and you want to be filled with peace or you want to be filled with intimacy or you want to be filled with affirmation, what you end up finding out is when you're empty, nine times out of 10, you might not fully care where you get filled from you might not fully care the cost to where it's like, I'm struggling. I'm alone. I just got to go back to this relationship. I just need to be filled. I, I need this promotion. I need it. I don't care what it costs. This is what I need. This is where I have to go because I'm on empty. So the third question that I would ask you is what are you filled with? What are you filled with? So we talked about what does a blessed life look like to you? We talked about what are you hungry for, but what are you filled with? What are you going to when you're exhausted? Have you considered the cost, the frustration that comes with following Jesus is that we understand the call of righteousness. We understand it. We understand that it's a lot. We understand how we're supposed to live. We understand there's morality. We understand the things that we're supposed to do. The frustration comes because we don't understand how we get there. We don't understand how to go there. We don't understand what we're supposed to do. What I love about Jesus is it says, blessed are those who hunger for righteousness, not blessed are those who work for righteousness because Jesus is fully aware that you cannot attain this righteousness on your own. But what does it say? The attention is not drawn to the attainment of righteousness. The attention is drawn to the desire of righteousness. What you have to understand is that working for righteousness is a job that if you try to fulfill it on your own, it will leave you more anxious, depressed, and addicted than when you started. It'll leave you feeling less than because you are. But what I love about Jesus is it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Why? For they will be filled. For they will be filled with righteousness. Not that they have to fill themselves, but they will be filled. Not that they have to work on it on themselves, but they will be filled. Can we stop trying to die on crosses that Jesus already died for? 
Can we stop trying to work for peace that Jesus already gave us? Can we stop trying to work for joy that Jesus already promised us? You will be filled. So what are we filled with? There's three things this morning that I believe that Jesus fills us with. The first one is his peace. 2 Thessalonians 3.16 says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. Striving causes anxiety. Rest causes peace. Working for peace will cause anxiety. Receiving peace will cause peace. What's crazy about this verse is that every single action statement describes God's actions and not ours. So what does it say? The Lord of peace will give you peace. Be with you in peace. In every way, God gives you peace. Striving causes anxiety, but understanding that Jesus fills us, gives us peace. I've had the opportunity to coach basketball for a few years now. Even in Florida, I was coaching basketball. And every year there's this moment where you have to have the conversation with uh, students and, uh, okay, hey, here's what your role is going to be this year. Hey, your role is going to be to rebound. Your role is going to be defense. Your role is going to be shooting. Your role is going to be the energy guy. Energy guy. And without fail, there's always someone who is a little bit frustrated with their role. To where a lot of our kids now like watch Steph Curry and they'll be like, "Well, Steph does this," and I'm like, "Okay, you're you're not Steph. Like, I'm, that's not that's not your role. I'm sorry." Oh, well, so-and-so does, well, you're not them. They're a professional basketball player. Like, I'm sorry, that's not your role. And the frustration that happens in our lives is when we don't fully understand our role. Like a lot of us are like, okay, God, I understand I have to be righteous. I understand that I have to do the things that you've called me to do. I'm willing to put myself on the cross. And God's like, I'm sorry, that's not your role. But Jesus, when he came down from heaven, died on a cross, wasn't so that you would have to die on a cross, but it was so that you could experience life, everlasting life, hopeful life, joyful life. We have to understand our role. Why do I say this gives us peace? Because when you understand that Jesus already died for your affirmation, you don't have to be anxious to get affirmation. When you understand that Jesus already died for your hope, you don't have to be anxious trying to get hope. The first thing that it does is it fills us with peace. The second thing that it fills us with is joy. Nehemiah 8.10 says, Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. There's a joy that comes with being filled with Jesus. I love that the word says joy and not happy. Have you ever made like a good decision and it just made you happy? Like you had every opportunity to maybe like gossip about someone at work and you didn't. It just made you happy. Or like maybe you could have said something to someone and you didn't and, and you were like, no, I don't think the conversation should go here. And it just made you happy. But then have you ever done the opposite? Maybe you said something you weren't supposed to say. You did something you weren't supposed to do. And it just made you sad. It just made you upset. It just grieved you. What I love about joy is that joy is not circumstantial. So happiness is circumstantial. I'm happy if I have a good day, but I'm sad if I have a bad day. But joy isn't circumstantial. Joy is constant. Did you have a good day? You can still have joy. Did you have a bad day? You can still have joy. Why? Because my joy does not come from me. My joy does not come from my works, but it comes from Jesus. And Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So if Jesus is the same, then my joy is the same. If Jesus is the same, then my hope is the same. What are we filled with? We are filled with joy. And the last thing we're filled with is grace. 
One of my favorite, favorite verses in the Bible is Romans 5, 20. It says, all that passing laws against sin did was produce more lawbreakers. That's all it did. But sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness that we call grace. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. I love even this version of the verse where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So what you have to understand this morning is that God cannot be God if he is not just. So what happened was sin created a disconnect. Because we cannot achieve this righteousness that Jesus has called us to, it created a disconnect between us and God. But what the cross did was it closed the gap. What it did was it now closed the gap and connected us with our heavenly Father. So what you have to understand is that grace does not dismiss your sin, but grace died for your sin. So grace doesn't say, hey, your sin is okay. Grace actually said your sin was so egregious. Our sin was so bad that he had to send his son to die for it. That's what grace says. So there was a competition between grace and sin and grace blew it out of the water. Like second quarter, down a hundred, warm up the bus. There was no chance. Like grace won every single time. Can I give you some good news this morning? God is more gracious than you are sinful. God is more forgiving than you are angry. God is more loving than you are addicted. And what you'll end up finding out is that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Have you lost your purity? Have you lost your integrity? Have you lost your character? Praise God for the grace that is over your life. Praise God that if you're very, very sinful, God is very, very gracious, that the Bible says that there is neither height nor death nor anything in all creation that can separate us from the love, the hope, the mercy, and the grace of God. There is no too far. There is no too gone. There is no, I've done too much. There's more grace. So the question you have to ask yourself is what does a blessed life look like to you? What are you hungry for? And what do you find yourself filled with? And the reason why we ask these questions, I ask these questions today is not just to encourage you on a Sunday, but I pray that these are things you begin to reflect on all throughout your week and that all throughout your week, you'd be able to see your appetite change. You'd be able to see, man, I was really hungry for some other stuff, but I'm hungry for righteousness. Man, I usually go somewhere else on Thursday nights, but I got to get to revival night. I'm hungry for worship. I usually don't fast, but I got to fast. I'm hungry for his presence. May there be a hunger. May there be a thirst for the righteousness of God. Because when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be filled. Come on, that's some good news. Amen. Come on, that's some good news. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.